0: Welcome to season two of MEC Connect. This is Matthew Yaling, and I'm here with Patty Reinecke. In season two, episode two, we're gonna talk to Cam Garrett about migratory claims. Patty?
1: Thank you, Matt. Today, we're excited to have Cam Garrett, who's been an analyst at Midwest Employers Casualty for several years, and he's here to share some information about the migratory claims that we see. I'll turn it back over to you, Matt, to ask the first question.
0: Great, thanks, Patty. In our first episode, we discussed the types of migratory claims you can also call these legacy, creeper, long tail, chronic, old dogs, whatever you wanna call them. Can you recount an example of a migratory claim?
2: Yeah, absolutely. For those of us that work in the work comp field, we hear the term migratory or legacy claim, You kind of have an initial thought of that claim falling under like a three to five year range and remaining active. But that's more often than not because in the primary insurance side, that's kind of the range you see, not always, but typically. On the excess side though, That's still a relatively young claim in our eyes. When I hear the term legacy claim, having been on the excess side now for several years and seeing that claim, that same three to five-year-old claim may continue on and not even be presented to us until like year seven because it's just meeting the reporting thresholds at that point. A specific example, for instance, uh, I have a claim right now that we've been working on. It actually has a 2010 date of injury. There have been several surgeries early on, and various new conditions were added in the claim from these. It took almost six years for the treatment course to stabilize. Once it did, though, there was litigation then that came about for permanent and total disability. That process in itself took another two-plus years. After that finding on the permanent and total disability, since the claimant actually went on Medicare, we had to focus on a Medicare set-aside and its impact. Our team here at MEC the third-party administrator, the defense attorney, claimant, and even his attorney all had to work together over the last four-plus years to help mitigate that MSA exposure. We had started with an MSA around 900,000, and we worked to effectuate the changes needed to reduce that exposure. But being that there were so many different providers involved in this treatment, one of them would make a subtle change, and it would increase that exposure again. So we really had to find a way to work around that. When the dust finally settled, though, we were able to get the Medicare set aside approved for a little over 300000 and we're actually getting ready to have the settlement hearing approval later this month. So hopefully that full and final settlement will be done. The point that I was trying to make with this is it took almost 13 years to get this claim to the place it's at now, even going back like three or four years ago. I'm not really sure how many of us involved with the claim really thought we'd get there, but we did get there with persistence.
1: Wow, that's a great example of what we see here at Midwest. And those are the kind of claims I imagine that come across your desk pretty much every day. With that wide variety of claims that you see, some of them must have very high spend rates, you know, either generated by the legal side or the medical side. Once you get these claims What do you typically see? So if no two claims are ever the same, are there some kind of recurring trends to identify a claim which meets the threshold for the reporting into excess criteria?
2: Yeah, you definitely start to notice some recurring trends that apply to these migratory claims. We found that certain body parts tend to be lengthier and more unpredictable in their recovery. Those are like low back, shoulders, head injuries. If there are other multiple surgeries involved, that can open the door to the dreaded diagnosis of CRPS or even infections and amputations resulting from those surgeries, then that treatment has to shift to deal with that aspect. There's things such as spinal cord stimulators or pain pump implants that definitely get our attention as well because they tend to become their own challenges and have their own maintenance. Those are things that likely will be with the injured worker for a significant period of time, if not their entire life. As you noted though, no two claims are the same. And that applies to people and their overall health in general. Certain comorbidities or even lifestyle choices can significantly impact the length and time of recovery and healing in a claim. There could also be return to work issues that the claimant has. They're no longer employed with a client or have some type of permanent restrictions assigned that precludes them from returning to their job or even that field of work. This can lead to the lengthy process of like voc rehab, vocational rehab or retraining can even lead to litigation if a claimant can't return to work in any capacity.
0: Wow, that's a, there's a lot of things going on there and a lot of things you covered regarding the handling of claims and the excess level of migratory claims. Is there something that you can simplify and just talk about the challenges that you face when you're handling a migratory claim? Something that's a simple example of the challenge you would face handling that?
2: Yeah, we definitely have some unique circumstances, that's for sure, especially with the types of severity and the injuries we see. They kind of lead to ever-evolving treatment plans that can change from visit to visit. We have to be prepared to adapt to help ensure that that care being provided, A, fits under the claim and the applicable work comp parameters, B, is in the best interest long-term for all those involved, and C, how might it impact the financial standpoint? And what I mean by financial standpoint is things like we have to take into consideration for future Medicare set-asides. Revision, surgeries, any maintenance on hardware and devices they may have, even modifications on daily living in some circumstances. Outside of the medical portion, though, we also face challenges when we're posturing a file for potential settlement. A portion of our clients are in the healthcare setting, and those employees themselves have a higher knowledge of medical and treatment overall, or they may have direct access to someone who knows that. Sometimes that can be a little bit of a barrier in our efforts to resolve a file with future medical as they could be kind of inflating what is really needed based off of what they may have seen or experienced in their medical career. I think there's also thought out there that when an injured worker gets represented by an attorney, it might be a negative thing. That's not always the case, at least in my opinion. It can really go both ways. If you have an experienced claimant attorney, They can actually help speed up the settlement efforts and really be an advocate for things like assistance for helping move a file toward resolution or even helping get that injured worker to see their value might not be in line with what's more in the realm of possibility. Sometimes the claimant's attorneys are actually just as motivated as we are to resolve the file.
1: You bring up some great points there, Cam. I know. Some of the things we see in the excess world are just not what the average adjuster would see. They see more of the frequency claims and we see more of those complicated and complex claims. Things you mentioned, some of the treatments you mentioned, I probably could count on one hand the time I saw them uh, for the first 20 years of working in the work comp field. And now being here at Midwest, it's something we kind of see every day. So it's a much different aspect of how we look at things that we are exposed to as well. So can you talk about some ways that you are able to impact these types of claims? What resources we have at MEC do you utilize in your day-to-day when you're handling these type of complicated claims?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of experience and resources in helping our clients and their third-party administrators navigate the lengthy and convoluted claims we see. We also have a wide range of vendors we work with to help reduce costs One of the areas we see in these migratory claims that can really drive the medical spend for years and years is the prescriptions. We work with a preferred pharmacy benefit manager, Elias, for example. When we're able to convert prescription fills to process through them directly, more often than not, we have a really good rate of savings over most of the other PBMs out there. Elias can also help us utilize some of the specialty needs you might have on a file. For example, when we use them for drug indication reviews or peer-to-peer reviews, and they're substantially less cost than we typically see associated with other services and vendors. We also have a very experienced and knowledgeable medical team, Patty, I'm sure, as you know. (laughs) And we're able to prepare cost projections to help gauge the future medical value on the file over the life expectancy or in cases where an, an MSA is actually needed. We can help prepare what we call a preliminary MSA for the same purpose to see what we can expect from Medicare. These services are really a great benefit as they're free of charge. That's our biggest selling point. They save the client a ton of money. You know, they don't have to go out and spend three to five thousand dollars unnecessarily just to get the report back from an outside vendor that basically says it may or may not be what you anticipated. So if settlement is a goal, we partner with very well known and regarded structured settlement broker. Uh, they can be a benefit to both the client and the injured worker. For instance, they can provide annuity options for the client and help them save a significant amount of money in funding a settlement. As most know right now, interest rates have been climbing over the recent course, and while it's not great for someone like myself who just moved, it's a positive thing for annuities. We're seeing historic levels of savings right now due to the rates, so it's really a great time to be in that. For the injured worker, though, They can offer professional administration of their settlement. This is especially useful to them when there's a Medicare set-aside involved. It kind of takes the burden off of them having to do any of the administrative things that go along with that. And also, in the eyes of Medicare, it helps make sure they're using their funds appropriately.
0: Great. Thanks for that answer. I mean, very detailed. And when I think of migratory claims, I know the majority of the files that we have, there's a lot of unwinding of the medical there's a lot of complicated things going on. When you think about the age of the files, and we've talked about that in, in episode one, and now we're talking about it in episode two again, and we're talking about files that are 5, 10, 15 years old. Is there a time frame or a window that you feel like it, that you've seen here where it's the best time for you to get involved in that migratory claim?
2: Yeah, so definitely there's, there's a good time frame. You know, like I kind of alluded to, A lot of these claims, we don't really see them up front. Generally, we like to be involved as early as possible. But if there's a major event coming up, I think that's usually the the best time for us to get involved. A lot of times if there's a surgery or there's a pending application for some kind of litigation, we can usually get involved with things like that and kind of help steer the claim in the right direction.
1: Thank you, Cam. I agree. I think sometimes as we look back on these older claims, we can almost see that point where the claim went off track. And so, you know, just as a resource, I think Midwest is here to work on the claims no matter where they are in regards to the SIR. We have a whole team of um, client consult managers here that have access to not only CAM, like our analysts, but also to the medical management consultants, to our claims attorneys, and also to our chief medical officer. So that's a great response. Thank you.
0: Great. Thanks for adding that, Patty. And Uh, Cam, we always like to add the final question to everyone about how you've connected to make a difference in an injured employee's life or an insured's life. Can you give us an example how you've connected?
2: Yeah, so a specific example off the top of my head is we have a really good relationship with a lot of our settlement counsel here. And sometimes our clients, while they do have kind of their own attorneys or things they may use, a lot of these cases are very convoluted. And sometimes there's just a little extra needed in terms of navigating MSAs and things like that. So recently we had one where one of our clients came to us and asked us if we could kind of walk them through the settlement process. So we actually got them connected with our our settlement counsel here and they were very impressed with him. And now actually I think they're looking at at bringing him on board as their go-to attorney. So just one of the the several ways that we kind of, to help in whatever way possible.
0: Thank you, Cam, for that answer and uh, for participating in today's podcast. We'd like to thank all the listeners out there. At MEC Connect, we want to make a positive difference in your day. We hope we've done that. Please stay tuned for future episodes of MEC Connect as we continue to explore migratory claims and the impact Midwest can have on them. Thank you, everyone. Have a great day.
1: Thank you, everyone.